Welcome. You are listening to a sermon presented at the First Church of Christ in Elkins, West Virginia. This message is given by pastor and teacher Jason Brandon. Jason will be selecting passages from the Word of God and showing us how to apply God's Word in our lives today. He will also be showing us why we need Jesus. How can faith, God, and the Bible have more influence in your daily life? What is God saying to us today? For this and more, stay tuned. In the days when settlers had to protect themselves from Native American uh, uh, incursions, uh, when pioneers built stockades, uh, they would sometimes need. They would sometimes build uh, ways of of signaling that they were in distress. I think we get this. We have the fire tower near us, and and they would likewise on 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 giant poles in some of these settlements. They would put a uh, a receptacle for flame, uh, effectively a giant torch that they could light if they were in trouble. And and I, I read about once a town that had been surrounded by. Uh, by attackers, that uh, they needed to, and 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 that these that that these natives were were armed with bows and arrows and shooting them into the uh, into the town, and that it was very dangerous to try to get up the pole and to light that flame to signal that they needed assistance. And I read about a youth, a young man that that climbed that pole to light the torch and and set off that beacon that would say that the town needed rescuing, uh, and that he succeeded, that he climbed the pole uh, and, and lit the torch and, and the town was saved, but that he, that he was struck by too many arrows in the process, and that in, in lighting that torch, he sacrificed his own life so that his town could be saved, um, to, to bring that light of salvation. Every year, we build up Christmas to be this big, wonderful, amazing thing, and, and, and it should be, but for many people, the build-up is window dressing. Uh, the, there's a build-up, and then there's no point. Uh, the decorating, and the lights, and the singing, and, and everything, uh, it, it's just window dressing. And so for, for many, even if we're not careful, for many Christians, it can just be a series of ups and downs, and 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 a, a ritual that has no point anymore. It, it can get that way for us if we lose sight of why we're doing this and the reason. And so I want to look at John chapter 3 today, which may seem like a very strange Christmas passage, but I think it's the point, isn't it? John chapter 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council, He came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs that you were doing if God were not with him. And in reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he's old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. 
Well, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. And so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. But how can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you don't believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. But men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Nicodemus, a, a teacher of the law, a Pharisee, sneaks out to talk with Nicodemus in the, in, in the dark of night so that nobody will see him. Um, and and in, in John chapter 3, we have some of the most, may, maybe the most powerful statements Jesus utters throughout the Gospels. Um, and, and he shows us God's love. God loved us so much that he sacrificed his son for us to bring us the light. So I want to look today at what we mean by light, because that's a big word, and it can have a lot of connotation to it. It can refer to many things, and it does. You don't have to be a Christian to know that light has these different symbolic meanings that, that the world gets. But we, in particular, when we apply this to Jesus, it teaches us so much about who he is and why he came. Jesus ties light in with his sacrifice, like the boy who lit the torch. His sacrifice brings us light as well. Uh, his sacrifice brings the light of joy to the world. When we speak of God and when we speak of Jesus, uh, my question, do, do we act like we have hope? Do, because, do we act like we have joy? Because that's what Jesus brings us. You know, I'm not talking hope like, boy, I really hope that there is a God and that Jesus is his son and that the church is true because otherwise... I've wasted all these years of my life. That's not the kind of hope that we're, that we're talking about. Do we speak as people of faith? Do we speak of the sure hope that awaits us? I, I have to say that it better bring hope and joy to us. It, it better bring joy. We, we, we should seem to have Christian joy because if not, we're doing it wrong. Some of, 
Some of the most depressing, morose, bitter, grouchy individuals I've ever met call themselves Christians, and I can't, it's hard to believe that we worship the same God. Um, uh, Jesus brings us joy, and that should affect everything. It should affect our outlook. It, it should affect our demeanor. It should, it, it should radiate off of us. Uh, there, are, there are spiritual gifts. There are you know, preaching and teaching and and. And there are all kinds of wisdom. There are all kinds of gifts that the Bible talks about. Joy is not a gift. Everybody should have it. It's not like some people God gives them joy and, and some people he doesn't. We're all called to be joyful. And I think that we are when we get it. But I think that when we lose focus on what it's all about, we get bogged down in the cares of this world. And, and Jesus warns us about that, doesn't he, with his, his parable about the seeds falling on soil, uh, that, that the cares of this world could, could choke us out if we're, not, if we're not careful. God loves us so much that he sacrificed his son for us to bring us light, and that should bring us joy. If Jesus is our Savior, then the joy that he brings should fill us to overflowing. Charles Spurgeon fantastic minister and and writer, uh, says that when we talk about heaven, that joy of what we're going to experience should illuminate us from within. And it should should radiate from us the, the joy of talking about heaven, that our face should light with his glory. And likewise, when we speak of hell, well, frankly, some of us may not need to change how we look. That's our problem, right? Some of us already look pretty, pretty grouchy and bitter and depressed, but uh, and for some of us, unfortunately, our ordinary face might just do fine. And that's, but that's not what it should be. Part of the point that Jesus gives us, um, and part is that that knowing God brings us joy. And Spurgeon's point is that some of us act like we're heading there already; that we're doomed, and we're not. If we're Christians, we have the joy of salvation. Uh, Cheer up. <laughs> Christmas time of all times, we cheer up. Uh, his sacrifice brings us the light of joy. We have, we have joy for all the blessings that he has given us. And at Christmas, we should remember that. It should bring us to, to joyful worship. Uh, his sacrifice brings the light of joy to the world. His sacrifice brings the light of knowledge to the world. Light is often equated with you know, from light we get illumination and enlightenment, but enlightenment is usually in reference not to lights, but to knowledge and, and, and understanding, and they go hand in hand. And so we might ask the question, then what knowledge are we, are we talking about? But well, before, before we didn't know God, now we do. And knowing him, if we, know, if we really know him, how can we not but love him? How can we not but follow him if we know him? Jesus died so that we might know God better, so that we might return to him, and we call that reconciliation. And we celebrate that. We, I mean, we should celebrate that every minute of the day, but we certainly celebrate that at Christmas time, that God sent Jesus to reconcile us to him. The more, the more I get to know him, the more I change. The more I understand him better, the more Christ-like I become. You know, for example, Jesus says, it's not about me, 
It's not about my ego. And he tells me to turn the other cheek. That is, that is hard. That, I thought that was hard in high school. I thought when I got to college, I'll fig- at Bible college, I'll figure that out better. As I've gotten older, I keep thinking, oh, I'm, I'm making progress. And then I'm put in a situation where I wonder if I have made any progress. But I do believe that, that, that Christ is making me more Christ-like. It's just a much longer process than I initially thought it would be when I was younger. George Attlee was an English missionary in Central Africa Mission. And uh, he was attacked at one point during his ministry by locals, uh, and he was killed. And when they found his body, they found that he died. He was he had a, he had a uh, he had a Winchester repeating with him. It was fully loaded, had ten rounds in it. Uh, he could have fought off and lived those who were attacking him. That wasn't why I went to Africa, and you can't evangelize to dead people. And so, fully armed, he allowed himself to be killed rather than to fight back and kill the very people he had gone to Africa to witness to. And that's a tough lesson. That, that's tough. We, we, we in the United States in 2021, when it's all about our rights and... and you know, and we in West Virginia in particular, uh, the, the, the very much live free or die mentality that is very American but very frontier West Virginia attitude that we have, it's very difficult to put ourselves in the Christ-like mindset that says, my needs pale in comparison to the needs of the gospel, that Jesus came to die to give us, and he expects us to then carry that message to the rest of the world. But when I get to know him better, I begin to understand his mindset, and I begin to understand that whatever it takes for others to know him needs to be my priority. It's a hard lesson to learn. I'm still learning it. I'm still, I'm still learning daily what it means to put to death self and to take on Christ, and I'm still failing in that often daily. But, but I'll get there. My God is great, graceful to me and patient with me, and and bit by bit, I am becoming more Christ-like. People say, I believe in Christmas. I believe in Jesus. And I want to know him better. And it's not about a warm, fuzzy feeling. It's about a relationship with, him, with God through Jesus. And, and the man who sacrificed for me, and if I'm Christ-like, then I, I also sacrifice of myself. His sacrifice brings the light of knowledge of who God is to the world his sacrifice brings the light of salvation to the world. That's why we're here, isn't it? The light of his sacrifice, that, that his sacrifice brings us, it really is the light at the end of the tunnel. That's what we're heading towards. This life is hard. But for those who accept Christ as their Savior, there is forgiveness, unmerited forgiveness that we don't deserve, that is grace, you know, what is the big deal about forgiveness and grace, right? But that's what saves us. George Depart, in his Legend of Eagles, speaks of, uh, writes about French, the French army under Napoleon fleeing the, Cossack, the Cossacks in winter. Um, and they made it to a river, and there was no bridge across the river. Uh, they tried to ford it. 
um, didn't work. Napoleon ordered his men to build a bridge. In the process of building this bridge across this winter river, um, some, some soldiers were even swept away. Um, uh, others entered the icy waters to hold up the logs while the bridge was built so that the army could cross the, the bridge and escape the Cossacks. Uh, when the army had crossed, uh, they discovered that the men who had entered into the water to hold those logs in place while the bridge was built, that they were frozen in place, that they had died, uh, freezing in place to help build the bridge to save their fellow soldiers. Uh, it is said that even Napoleon cried when he saw their sacrifice. What's the big deal about grace? Jesus died for us. That is as big as it gets. We don't deserve that. His sacrifice brings the light at the end of the tunnel that is uh, that finally gets here. Have you been... I, I've been collecting uh, uh, since moving here because I, I I like my fiction. There, there's a very small gap, if if a gap at all, between my, my science fiction and my comic books and, and my and, and the fantasy books that I read. Uh, and West Virginia ghost stories are are huge. That's a that's a thing Illinois didn't have. That West Virginia just has all. I'm just collecting this this stack of books on on West Virginia ghost stories. They're fascinating reads. No, I don't believe in ghosts. Of course I don't. But they're fascinating, f- fun reads, uh, kind, of a, kind of a local mythology. Um, so one day uh, I went over to, uh, there's a flinderation tunnel that's supposedly haunted over uh, on the edge of, what, what counties would that be? It's between Clarksburg and, uh, it's, 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 it's past Clarksburg. Um, and, and, and it's this tunnel that they built under a cemetery. And there's one of the weirdest optical effects. When you're approaching this tunnel, you can, there's the tunnel entrance, and you can see the far side of the tunnel. Um, and one of the most amazing optical illusions is as you get close, that, that, that due, due to physics and how it, how it looks, the closer you get, the more that, that other side of the tunnel just starts crawling away from you. When you're standing outside the tunnel, it looks like a nice short little tunnel. That's one of the longest tunnels I've been in. It just goes on and on and on. But it doesn't feel like that till you get into the tunnel. And then it just keeps stretching further and further. It's kind of a neat, kind of a neat thing. If, if bring, bring your good boots. That, that tunnel is often pretty wet, I've discovered. Um, what life feels like that. You know, when, when you think, I just can't go any further, that, that tunnel entrance just seems to crawl away from you. And you just start to wonder, that is, is there a light at the end of the tunnel? Is it, is it an optical illusion? Is it, is it crawling away from us? Um, is there hope at the end? And, and the gospel message is absolutely there's a light at the end. And it's salvation. And it's unmerited grace that Jesus came to save us. And without him, there is no salvation. Uh, Jesus died for us. That's as big as it gets. When I was a locksmith, um, my, my, my boss wisely pointed out to me that no, very few people learn a lesson the first try, on the first try. Uh, not only, you know, there was a point when he really scolded me for getting a, a project wrong, um, and, and I tried to defend myself. He said, my frustration is not that you messed this up. He said, my frustration is you're going to have to mess it up two more times before you finally get it. That's human nature. So at the risk of repeating myself, 
I know I said this last week, but maybe we need to hear it again. Christmas is not about a kid in an animal's feed trough. Christmas is about the sacrifice of Jesus our Lord. His sacrifice is why this season is joyful. We are restored to God what we were made to be. We are restored to God through the sacrifice of Jesus, his son. By his death, we are saved. His sacrifice for us was because we were lost, and until we recognize that, there is no need for salvation. Is there a light at the end of the tunnel? It is. Praise God, it is. And it is Jesus, and it is eternity with God. Jesus' sacrifice brings the light of salvation to the world. And his sacrifice brings the light of purity to the world. So, again, I like, I like the Christian theologian Francis Schaeffer. I like to quote him. And he's got a book called How Should We Then Live, which is a phenomenal name for a book, and, and it's a phenomenal statement. that we sh- It's a question that we should ask ourselves. If Christ died, in one of Schaeffer's earlier books, The God Who Is There, if there is a God who is there, and then his next book, He Is There and He's Not Silent, as we, work through the, as we work through the titles of Schaeffer's book, we have books, we have a real theological series of statements. And, and when you get to the end of his books, the closing question, so how should we then live? If Jesus is the light of the world that saves us, what do we do about it? If the light that he brings is a light of joy and knowledge and salvation, does it affect us at all? Or is it just in our heads? Is it... Is it Purely academic. Okay, people. I get that people think that I'm a little bit academic. I do like to read. If you say, oh, Jason's always got his nose buried in books, probably true. I do, I, I do like to read. If you say he probably doesn't know which end of a screwdriver to hold, there may be some truth to that. At least, certainly before I became a locksmith, um, where they had to, had to teach me from the ground up things about tools. There, there was a point where my boss was working on a car door, and he said, Jason, go grab the diagonal cutters. And I went and left and then stared at the toolbox and said, I have no idea what those are. <laughs> Not a clue. And finally, after five minutes, came back empty-handed, and he said, you, we, you called them wire cutters. Oh, okay, now, now I know what wire cutters are. Thank you. I didn't know that they had a technical name. Um, that, I, I, am, I am not good at, at technology. And if you look through my list of text messages to Mark over the last six years, you will see just how bad I am at, at, at simple technical things that I have to ask him about. Um, I, I, I am academic in many ways, but not, not in my faith. I don't want an academic faith. I don't want a faith that's all on paper and, and, and debating minute points of Scripture but can't put any of it into practice. What a waste of time that would be. Um, but, but it's easy to fall into an academic faith. That, that exists up here in our heads, but when we, you know, and, and, and we can talk about on Sunday morning, and then, and then after church and we go home, it makes no difference in our lives. That's not the faith that we're called to. Um, it's not about being debated and considered. It, it, it changes us. It has to change us, or it's not real faith. Um, too many Christians are academic Christians. And it's not about how much you read the Bible. It's just whether or not Reading the Bible has changed you. Yeah, you know, Francis Chan asks that question. If you, took, if you were to be able to prove today beyond a shadow of a doubt that there was no God, that he never existed, that it's all just an accident of, 
uh, of universal proportions. If you could prove that there was no God, would it change your life? Because if it wouldn't change how you live, then Jesus hasn't changed your life. And I think it's a good question, because if Jesus is Lord, then it absolutely has to change our life, or he's not Lord. We're not, Christ, we're not followers of Christ if it's not changing how we live. If his sacrifice hasn't brought the light of purity to our lives, then we're just academic Christians. That's on paper only. We are called to be different from the world, to be in the world and not of it. In the world and not of it. Too often Christians reverse that. They're, they're not really in the world. You know, they, 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 they keep to themselves, but boy, they sure act worldly. Um, but, but they act like the non-Christian, but they don't relate to the non-Christian. Not only have they no witness, but the marks of Christ are absent from their lives. In South America, there, there's a spider that can create a bubble around itself. It's a fascinating thing of nature, where it can create this pocket of air around itself and be submerged in the water. And it amazes me that it can stay alive underwater because of this pocket of air that it can create. It stays in the water, but it's not wet, and it survives. I would learn the spider's lesson um, to be in the world, but not to get wet from the world. Too many of us get thoroughly wet, and we have no air, and we have a word for when you're wet and you have no air. We call it drowning. And too many Christians are drowning in this world because they are of the world, and it has changed them, and it has affected them. Or maybe the better way is they just simply haven't changed. They're as worldly as the next person, and Christ hasn't, hasn't saved them, hasn't, hasn't pulled them out. They, they haven't made any attempt to be Christ-like. There's a fancy word for this, and it's the word we've been talking about all year, the word holy, to be set apart to God, to belong to Him. His light brings us holiness. You know, our, our, our hymn of decision is hymn number 187. You know, so I, I read a story once upon a time. The, there was a cave that lived in the ground, because, well, that's what caves do. They live in the ground, right? And so the cave... And the sun were talking, and the sun said, you should come up and see the light. And the cave said, I don't know what that word means. And the sun said, well, come on up and see. And so the cave went up and said, this is amazing. What am I looking at? And the sun said, this is light. And the cave said, this is fascinating. This is incredible. I've, this changes so much. You should see where I come from. You should come underground and see the darkness. And the sun said, okay, I'd love to. And so the sun followed the cave underground and the sun looked around and said, I, I don't see any darkness. If we know Christ, we've seen the light. And it changes us. And we can't go back to the way that we were. If you've accepted Jesus as the Son of God, the only begotten, unique Son of God, you've seen the light. And your world will never be the same again. John tell, Jesus tells us through John, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world. We've seen him. If the sun of righteousness is in us, then we also ask, where is the darkness? Because he, his light has illuminated us in every way. We, we knew the darkness once, but we gave that up for Jesus. If you haven't, if you're still in the darkness and you've heard about this light and like the cave, you've come into the light and said, wow, this is amazing. 
we ask you to stay in the light. <laughs> God calls you to stay in the light, to follow him, to not go back to the darkness, but to be a Christian, to accept Christ as your Savior. And I'd like to talk with you about what that looks like, what that is, if you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior. Thank you for listening. You can contact us at our website, firstchurchofchristalkins.com, where you can also find out more. Have a nice week.